Well, we're real people. Sometimes things get a little tangled up and complicated. First of all, let me just say, uh, welcome to this Super Sunday to be worshiping Jesus together, right? You can say, ah. But I'm glad you're here. I mean, let's just think about the obstacles you have already overcome to arrive here today. Um, it's like frigid outside. It's, it's like the, we were, the weather was struggling to get up to zero, to get up to zero degrees today. And you made it anyway. So we had the whole winter weather thing. There's a football game that some people build their whole lives around. And you overcame the idolatry of football to be here today. Not that we're judging anybody else or anything like that. Um, but you have overcome so many obstacles already. And I'm glad to be here with you. Um, and actually, you know who the really brave folks are, though? Like, you all are here at the 3 o'clock service. We literally have a 5 o'clock service today. And we literally have like 50 plus people with reservations to be here. And there's a football game at 530 and the weather's going to be getting colder. So pray for them, I guess, is the, uh, is the point of that. Let me also just extend a warm welcome uh, to those of you who are worshiping with us from home today. Uh, I know that quite a few of you uh, who are part of this church family uh, are participating regularly uh, through the online thing. And I just want to say we love you and we are glad to have you worshiping with us right now. Um, I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Proverbs chapter 18. Book of Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to be continuing our sermon series together through the book of Proverbs. And we're going to return to a topic that we talked about last week is this topic of relationships. It's this topic of friendships. It's this topic that we said last week is so, so important for us. This topic is important in large part because Jesus has made it a top priority for his church. Remember last week we talked about Jesus's new command that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you also are to love one another. And by this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, Jesus made this a top priority for our church culture. This isn't just something that like the elders get together in a room and get out a whiteboard and we're like, what do we want our values to be? Jesus already told us what he wants our values to be. Humility, love toward one another, faith toward him. These are the values that Jesus has already defined for his church. So love is a top priority for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but... As a church, we don't need epically awesome music. I like great music, but we don't need it. As a church, we don't exactly need like the most dynamic preaching you've ever heard to be a healthy church. As a church... We don't need the coolest, awesomest youth ministry in order to be a healthy church. I appreciate youth ministry deeply, as I know a lot of you do. 
As a church, we don't need things to keep going the way we want them to keep on going in our culture in order to be a healthy church. But if we have not love, we're nothing. Listen to what one wise person once explained about the importance and priority of loving relationships in Jesus' church. A wise person once said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all kinds of faith so as to remove mountains, and most of us are like, that's what an epically awesome Christian is. Whoa. This wise person once said, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain how much? Nothing. Love is a top priority for our church culture, not because... We like the idea of loving relationships, but because we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is his vision for us, that we would love one another. And as we said last week, love is a relationship word. It's not just an emotion or a feeling. It's a relationship word. This is Jesus' priority for us that we love one another. And as we said last week, coming out of the year of our Lord 2020, oh my words, it's as challenging as it has ever been in our lifetimes to do loving relationships with one another, right? So many things this last year have made it Not easier, but more challenging to walk out love with one another together in our neighborhoods, in our households, even in our local church. It's as challenging as it's ever been in our lifetimes to love one another. And so as we turn the corner from 2020 and begin to accelerate into what our Lord has for us in this year called 2021, we have a vision, not a vision that we've dreamed up, but a vision from Jesus himself. That we want to grow in a church culture that is characterized by loving relationships. But in order to have loving relationships and in order to walk out loving relationships, we need wisdom. We need guidance and direction that gets down into the nitty gritty details of life. And thanks be to God, he's given us not only his commands in the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he's given us not only the example And the commands of our Lord Jesus, who said, you should love one another as I have loved you. But our Lord in his kindness has given us detailed wisdom, direction for the skill of living wisely in his world. Including skills for living wisely and walking out loving relationships with other people. 
And so we're paying attention not only last week, but this week also to this very important issue. How do we love one another? How do we walk out wise relationships? How do we walk out wise friendships as followers of Jesus? Today I want to ask you to look with me at one verse here at the end of Proverbs chapter 18, which is kind of the banner verse that we'll be looking at, even though kind of like last week I'm going to pull in some other teachings from some other Proverbs. But I want to ask you to look with me at Proverbs chapter 18 verse 24 as kind of a banner idea here. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A person with a whole lot of companions may come to ruin. And the point of this proverb is not that it's bad to have many companions. In fact, we could translate that word companion as neighbor. It's the way it's usually translated in the Old Testament. So a person with many neighbors, by the way, remember that command from the Lord in the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor is not bad. Having relationships with your neighbors is not a bad thing. But a person with a whole lot of neighbors may still come to ruin. Haven't we experienced that in our lives? When we prioritize popularity, when we prioritize the number of our friends, even when that means shrinking down to a shallowness in our relationship with our friends, it may not go well with us, right? And yet there is this idea of a kind of friend that is not only a millimeter deep, a kind of friendship that's not only a millimeter deep, but a kind of friendship that is deeper than the kind of kinship and commitment that we experience with a sibling. And I want to talk a little bit about what that kind of wise friendship is According to God's word here in the wisdom that we discover in the book of Proverbs, I want to show you a few different aspects of what it means to be a wise friend, a few different aspects of how the Lord wants to teach us to be closer than brothers, kinds of friends, closer than family, kinds of friends with one another. I want to show you a few aspects of that as we work our way toward kind of feeling the weight of this in a bigger and bigger way. So here's a first aspect of what I think the Lord wants to teach us related to how we can be closer than family kinds of friends. A first aspect of that is that a wise friend is considerate. A wise friend is considerate. What I mean by considerate is considering the interests of others, right? And there's a whole bunch of Proverbs. Some of them are kind of vivid and fun that speak to this issue. For example, there is a proverb in Proverbs chapter 27, 14 that says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. <laughs> we could call this in the Midwest the snowblower principle, right? Your neighbor wakes up at 5 a.m. and in order to bless you, your neighbor is buzzing that snowblower right down the sidewalk in front of your house. And as much as your neighbor might think this is a nice thing for me to do, he's not counting the interests of others more significant than his own, right? His pursuit of friendship, his pursuit of blessing his neighbors turns out in a surprising way to actually be a little bit self-centered, right? 
He's doing something nice, but he's just doing it because he enjoys doing it. He's not actually thinking about what will be a blessing to other people, right? Or there's another proverb that says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. There's a similar American proverb written by Ben Franklin, which says, Guests, like fish, begin to smell after three days. We've discovered the wisdom of Proverbs 25:17 in America as well, right? The point is not that it's bad to spend time with friends. But the point is that sometimes we need to be willing to leave on a good note. You got to know when to show up and you got to know when to go. There's wisdom in considering not only do I love chilling here and am I comfortable here, but there's wisdom in considering the interests of your hosts who are graciously welcoming you, right? You know, it turns out sometimes, and this is why we as pastors sometimes don't recommend that you do fellowship groups that last for like four hours. And you're like, how unspiritual of the pastors to recommend that we cut off our fellowship groups at a certain time. We love friendships. We love relationships. Let us talk for four hours. You could talk for four hours, but be understanding that not everybody wants to spend four hours there. And fellowship groups like fish start to smell after four hours in my experience, right? Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house. Consider Consider the interests of others and not only if you're enjoying having a good time, right? Or there's another one that maybe strikes a little deeper. It says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart. And and let's just pause on that first line for a minute. Singing songs, good. Yeah, the Bible tells us to sing songs, right? And sometimes we're like, but I feel happy and I want to sing about it. But sometimes if we're just singing songs at a sad heart... It's kind of selfish of us, isn't it? It's not really considering the interests of others. It's not really paying attention to the grief that our brother or sister might be sitting in right now. And so the wisdom of God's word tells us in Proverbs 25, 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. It's cold enough outside that we get this, right? If you take off my coat while I'm standing outside... I won't die, but I might feel like I'm going to (laughs) die. And I won't be grateful to you for it, right? And sometimes when we are interacting with brothers or sisters who are really sorrowing, who are really walking through their own moment of grief, and we show up and we don't take seriously what they're grieving or why they're grieving it, or maybe we look at our brother or our sister and we say, I wouldn't grieve it the way you're grieving it. Or we say, you know, once I went through a hard time, it's just very rarely a wise idea to compare sufferings with other people. Very rarely helpful. But sometimes we do this, right? It's like one time I went through a hard time and I sang worship songs and I felt better. Let's sing some worship songs together right now, okay? But God in His kindness leans forward and says, my vision for you as followers of Jesus, is that you would be loving people, but love requires wisdom. And wisdom is not just about self-expression. 
Wisdom is not just about doing what you feel like when you feel like doing it because it makes you feel better. Wisdom pays attention to other people. It counts the interests of others more significant than our own interests. Wisdom from above, the kind of wisdom that the Lord is teaching us, is a wisdom that teaches us to be considerate. Let me move on to a second point here that we learn from the book of Proverbs about being wise friends. A second point is that the Lord is teaching us to be friends who are both honest and helpful. Honest and helpful, not honest or helpful. (laughs) Honest and helpful. Where do we get this from? The book of Proverbs tells us over and over that a certain kind of honesty and openness of communication is vital for strong, healthy friendships. So, for example, Proverbs 27, verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. That's the priority of honesty in loving relationships, right? It's better to have an open rebuke from a friend than to have hidden love where they can't even express their words out loud to you. But that honesty that the book of Proverbs calls for in our relationships is not just honesty for honesty's sake. Think about what we were talking about a minute ago, this tendency we have to go to others and just kind of express ourselves at them. Sometimes what we do in the name of honesty is really just pouring out our own opinions at them, which, as we talked about last week, is what a foolish friend does, not, a, not what a wise friend does. But this kind of honesty that the book of Proverbs is calling us to in loving relationships is a kind of honesty that is also aimed toward being helpful. So, think about this famous proverb. Um, uh, some of us know this proverb well, and we love it. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Now, I'm no expert in sharpening knives, but I love barbecue. And so I'm the one in my household, I'm the one in my kitchen who gets out that sharpening stick. Is there a name for that? I'm sorry. What is it called? A sharpening steel? Okay, so I get out the sharpening steel, and I get out the knives, right? And you know what I do, right? Shink, 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 shink. And this is a picture of what the book of Proverbs is talking about. What happens when you're going shink, 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 shink? What happens, first of all, is friction, right? It's friction. Shink. Shink. It's the drag of the knife across the sharpening steel. It's friction. But it's not friction for friction's sake. It's friction with a purpose, right? It's friction that is leading toward making the knife sharper and better at what it was created to be. Right? And here's the thing. The book of Proverbs is telling us that good friends can be like a knife and a sharpening steel. Shink, shink, shink. Which means sometimes there will be friction in our discussions with each other. 
But not friction just for friction's sake. Friction with an aim of sharpening. Friction with an aim of leading us to be better versions of what we were made by God to be, right? Now, there's a problem that we experience that some of us hate the friction so much that we just avoid hard discussions at all costs, right? We don't like the shink, so we just stay away from it. But what's going to happen if we leave our knives in the cutting block for years without the friction of dragging it across the steel? They get dull. They aren't really prepared for the purpose that they're prepared for. And I'll tell you, my grandfather was a European immigrant to America. I don't know if this is like an immigrant, European immigrant thing or what, but that guy loved sharp knives. He was like obsessed with them, right? And you would go and, you know, I mean, it's like anybody else touches his knife and their fingers like sliced open and he's still there whittling it sharper and sharper, you know. But he always believed that the purpose of sharpening knives is because the sharper the knife is, the better and the safer it becomes. A dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp knife. Why? Because you're sitting there trying to cut something with a dull knife and what happens? It's not doing its job and it ends up slicing something that it's not supposed to slice, right? In a similar way, true friends, true friends will cut, but they don't harm. Sharpened friends will sometimes cut a little bit. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the book of Proverbs says. But true friends aren't harmful, right? And so we end up with this tension where on the one hand, some of us are just afraid of the the tension. We're afraid of the friction. And so we stay away from those conversations at all costs. And the result is that we and our friends alike are not being shaped and sharpened into the people that God wants us to be. But on the other hand, there are some of us who just kind of like my, my grandpa, we just love the friction so much that we get indiscriminate with our frictioning. <laughs> and we're taking all kinds of things and we're no longer even sharpening things that are supposed to be sharpened. We're just looking for any place we can find friction because we love the friction. And we end up kind of hurting or wounding people around us. Because we're not using friction in order to sharpen. We're just using friction as just an opportunity for self-expression, right? Again, it's a kind of selfishness that's poisoning our relationships. And we do this in our new members class. When, when we do our membership class here and we teach people about the gospel of Jesus Christ and values that should characterize membership in Jesus' church. And, and we do this thing and we just talk about the fact that, you know, most of us probably have either a tendency in friendships to be really good at loving people and accepting them and paying attention to what makes them tick. Or we're really good at confronting people and speaking the truth to them. And what can happen is if we're good at one of those or the other, we begin to think that I got this. I'm really good at accepting people. I don't need help and love. Or I'm really good at telling people the truth that they need to hear. And here's the thing. 
Jesus' vision for his church is a whole congregation, a whole body that is building itself up in love by each part doing its part in speaking the truth in love. Jesus isn't asking us to be truth people or love and accept people. He's not asking us to be either accepting or discerning. Jesus' vision for His church is a church that's able to speak the truth in love. And so let me ask you to consider for just a moment as we think about this issue of true friends being both honest and helpful, honest and willing to dig into the conversations of friction and helpful in that they have an aim of actually helping people move forward. Which of these things do you perhaps need to pay a little extra attention to these days? Is it that honesty in close friendships? To be willing to speak a word that might include a little bit of friction, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your small group, maybe with a close friend who you worry might not want to have that conversation right now? Do you need to grow perhaps in that kind of honesty that would lead you to be willing to risk the friction in order to reach a better end? Or on the other hand, perhaps are you kind of a little bit friction happy, a little bit big on honesty, and yet still in need of paying attention to the goal of sharpening? The goal is not just to have friction. The goal is to help one another be shaped into what God wants us to be so that we can be more precise tools in the hands of our Redeemer. Which of those do you need to grow in right now? This is really important in this cultural moment that we're living in right now. Because in this cultural moment that we're living in, this combination of honesty and helpfulness, so important. Because there really are kind of competing definitions of what love really is. This is why we need the details of God's word to guide us. It's not enough to just say we want to be loving people. There are different ideas of what a loving person is like. And I heard one person explain it like this over the last year. A professor named Zach Eswine explained that there are kind of these different voices trying to define love in different ways. One side will say, in order to be loving, be careful with affirmation. Be careful what you affirm, because if you affirm one thing, then you endorse everything. Be careful with your affirmations. Be careful, because if you affirm one thing, then you, affirm, then you endorse everything. The other side, however, says, be careful with disagreements. Because if you disagree with anyone, then you must hate them. And yet the Christian testimony is that Jesus affirmed me without endorsing everything in my life. Didn't he? And Jesus disagreed with me. Oh, but he did not hate me. I read a story not long ago about a single mom who was writing about some of her struggles in life. She writes with kind of a brutal honesty and talks about struggles with alcohol, struggles with an eating disorder, struggles with parenting, cussing out her son with the neighbors listening. (laughs) 
And at one point in her life, she writes about this kind of tipping point kind of moment. When a friend called and left a message that said, Grace meets us right where we are, but it never leaves us there. And she writes with kind of a poignant beauty about, and she writes about just the tears that ensued as she listened to that message from a friend. Grace meets us right where we are, but it never leaves us there. And I think this is a picture of the kind of loving relationships we want to see cultivated in our church family. Kinds of relationships where we have the honesty to come and talk to each other and say, the Lord doesn't want to leave you where you are. The kind of helpfulness that says grace is ready to meet you right where you are and take you to where Jesus plans for you to be, right? Well, let's move on. A a wise friend will be considerate. A wise friend will be honest and helpful. And furthermore, a wise friend will be faithful through the darkness, faithful through all the storms of this life. We get that especially in this verse that we looked at a moment ago, Proverbs 18, 24. There is a friend who sticks. There's a friend who sticks with us closer than family. There's a friend who sticks. All right, I know there are kids in here, and so kids, you've probably heard this one before. It's been popular in elementary schools for a long time now, but some of us haven't been in elementary school for a little bit, so we're just going to pause for a moment for an elementary school joke. All right, everyone can exhale. We're going to do an elementary school joke here, all right? You ready? What's brown and sticky? A stick. I don't know what y'all were thinking about, but (laughs) I say that only to say that God's design for loving relationships in the church is that we would be sticky friends with one another. A true friend, there is a kind of friend who sticks closer than a brother, who sticks like family who sticks. Faithfulness is not, is not a particularly celebrated virtue in our culture around us. People get excited about a lot of things. People aren't particularly excited about faithfulness. But throughout the pages of Scripture, faithfulness is one of the premier virtues. To be a friend who sticks with others through thick and thin. To be a friend who is sticky even in the darkest of times. To be a friend who is sticky even through the storms of life. This is what a true friend looks like according to God's word. And I've got a little bit of a dilemma here as a preacher right now. Because I think a lot of us have heard this verse preached in such a way that we just skip straight to like Jesus is our sticky friend, right? And there are so many times, if you've been around and you've listened to me trying to understand and explain God's Word, there are so many times when I'm opening the pages of Scripture and I'm like, don't you see, this is talking about Jesus. But in this case, this is one of those times where I kind of want to say, don't you see, this is God's vision for us. The book of Proverbs gives us ethics. 
It gives us the way that God wants us to actually relate to the friends that he's put in our lives. God wants us to be sticky friends with others, right? He wants us to be faithful. And yet, how do we learn to be faithful friends? How do we learn to be sticky friends who stick with others through the darkness and through the storms of life? We learn that ultimately from Jesus, don't we? So I did get to Jesus. Just in a roundabout way here. I want you to think about this with me for just a second. There's a moment in the upper room shortly before he was betrayed when Jesus said to his friends, or when he said to his disciples, I have called you my friends. I don't know what your background is with Jesus. I don't know what your assumptions are about Jesus. I don't know what church tradition you've been around or what movies or ideas you've encountered about Jesus. But this is one that needs to do something to a lot of our theologies. A lot of us need to learn that this is what Jesus is like. He looks at his disciples and he says, I have called you Friends. And in that context, Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. But there's a moment in the upper room that I want to zoom in on. Is this moment when Jesus is talking with Simon Peter, kind of directly. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, his friend, He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. We're like, Jesus, chill out. Take it easy, man. Don't friends just keep the mood light? Don't friends just speak positive and encouraging ideas to each other? Here's Jesus as a friend. Speaking to Simon Peter, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You notice, I just kind of love, this feels like a picture of both honesty and helpfulness. Let me be honest, Satan has demanded to sift you. You're about to go through the deepest trial of your life, but I've prayed for you. And Jesus goes on to say, and when you have turned again, I pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter's reply, you may remember, is to insist that he would follow Jesus even to imprisonment or death. And, and I kind of think there's some kind of Middle Eastern smile on Jesus' face as he nods and says, Before the rooster crows, Peter, you will deny that you even know me. And then you'll do it again. And then you'll do it again. It's honesty in a relationship, right? But that's exactly the kind of friend that Jesus is. He's not shying away from the darkness. He's not shying away from honesty. 
about the challenges. He's not shying away from honesty about our sin or our failures. And yet Jesus is a loyal friend, even through our darkness, even through the darkest nights of our souls, even through the fiercest of storms. Jesus is a loyal friend, just as Jesus had explained. It's exactly what happened. The Son of Man was crucified and buried for our sins. And as he carried our griefs and sorrows, as he was stricken and smitten, as he suffered for Peter, Peter denied Christ and did so again and again. Thank God that the new covenant is not based on our faithfulness to Jesus, but his faithfulness to us, right? Then a couple of weeks later, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, a couple weeks after Peter's denial, Jesus and Peter are standing by the Sea of Tiberias. Once again, they break bread together. A picture of fellowship. And Jesus finds a moment to talk with Peter a few steps away from the others. And Jesus is question to Peter is famous. Peter, do you love me? And he asks it again. Peter, do you love me? And he asks it again. As many times as Peter denied Christ, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Perhaps if you've heard preachers talk about that before, you may know that Jesus uses different words for love, at least in the Greek language as it's translated for us. He uses different words for love as he asks that question a few different times, but the one he lands on is actually the word for a friendship kind of love. Peter, do you love me like a friend? Peter says, Lord, you know all things, and you do know that I love you like a friend. And Jesus' reply is not vindicative, It's not bitter. It's not spiteful. He doesn't say, Peter, do you realize how you failed me in your moment of darkness? Jesus is a loyal and faithful friend to the very bitter end, right? Jesus' reply to his friend, Peter, is to say, and go, feed my other sheep. Peter, you love me like a friend? Go and love the others around you. And he warns Peter, be prepared for suffering. And he leaves Peter with these simple yet profound words. Follow me. In Christ, Peter found a friend who would stick closer than a brother, even through the darkest night of his soul. Even through the fiercest trial of his life even through the fiercest relational disappointments. In Christ, Peter met a love unlike any other love he had ever found in this life. And what was the result for Peter? It's that he's freed up and sent out to go and spread that love that he discovered in Christ to others. In fact, a few years later, we get a picture of Peter as a closer-than-a-brother kind of friend for others. 
We get a picture of Peter as a faithful friend to others in their own moments of darkness, in their own storms, in their own moments of deepest trials. Writing a letter to a number of churches who were going through some of the fiercest opposition they had ever faced in their lives. Fiercer opposition than we have experienced. Let's be honest. Peter writes to these brothers and sisters in 1 Peter chapter 5. Resist your adversary the devil. Firm in your faith. Now why does Peter know that they might need to resist the devil in their darkest hour? Because Satan demanded to sift him. But notice where he goes. Resist your adversary, the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering have been experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. And to Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What's Peter doing there? The friendship that he's experienced in Christ. The closer than a brother friendship. The all the way through the darkest night of his soul friendship. That even when Satan sifted me like wheat, he was still loving toward me kind of friendship that he experienced from the Lord, Peter is now passing on to others going through their own times of darkness, going through their own fiercest storms, going through their own most trying moments. He's passing it on to others. And he's not doing it by saying, don't worry, I'll be there with you and I'm strong enough. You see what Peter's doing, right? See, as Peter has experienced the friendship of Christ, Peter has learned to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother to others. And he's learned that one of the finest things a friend who will stick closer than a brother will do is to point others back to the Lord. It's not just that Peter is saying, look, Jesus forgave me and good news, I'm going to forgive you. He's looking at brothers and sisters and he's reminding them of who our redeeming God is. After you have suffered a little while, our Redeemer himself, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will. Brothers and sisters, so here's kind of where we're getting to as the Lord is teaching us to be a community characterized by love. It's not just about us kind of making ourselves better friends and better people and then going and walking out more satisfying relationships. Here's the pathway of discipleship for us. It involves experiencing the friendship of our Lord for us friendship of our Lord who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but willingly made himself nothing. Taking on the form of a servant. That's a considerate friend if I've ever heard of one. Our Lord who did not sugarcoat it but was honest with us 
who was loving enough to disagree with us and yet loved us to the end. Our Lord, who was loving enough to identify our sins and yet accept us. That's an honest and helpful friend. Our Lord, our Lord who has stuck with us through the darkest and fiercest storms that we've walked through in our own lives. As we know Him, as we walk with Him, as we experience His love and His grace and His mercy poured into our hearts from above, we become friends who delight to extend that same kind of love to others. Who delight to be considerate, honest, helpful, and faithful friends through the darkest and fiercest of storms. Not because of who we are and who we've made ourselves, but because of who He is and what our friendship with Him has made us to be. And I think by the power of His Spirit, God wants to look through the pages of His Word afresh today. He wants to lean forward with, with eyes full of love and speak to our hearts and remind us of His love for us. And remind us of His calling and mission to us. A calling and mission not only to be loved, but to be people who have been loved by the greatest of friends. And now are sent to extend that love to others. See, when we talk about this topic of friendship, one of the things that very often happens is we very quickly begin to measure everybody else's friendship toward us. We think about friendships and we say, my friends have let me down. Yep, my friends have too. But there is a friend who really does stick closer than a brother. And when you've known that kind of love, the love of Jesus Christ for us, it frees us up to look around at our friends who are sitting out there on the sidelines, to look around at our friends who are out on the margins of our friend community, to look around at friends who haven't acted like friends recently, to look out friends who say knuckleheaded things on Facebook, to look at friends who are inconsistent in their attendance to small group, to look at friends who weren't necessarily the best were there for us when we needed them. And to say as somebody who's experienced the friendship of one who sticks closer than a brother, I want to be a friend that's closer than family for others. I want to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward.